pray for you, mate. Let's pray for you. Yeah, come Holy Spirit. Bless you, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this mighty, righteous man of God, Lord. Thank you for what you've placed on his heart today, Lord. Yeah, bless him now, Lord. Fill him anew and afresh. Yeah, ready us and prepare us, Lord, for what you have for us. Yeah, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. in for some good time <laughs> just a short sermon this morning no doubt I want to start by asking a question have any of you ever thought that you would like to write a book has anybody written a book I know that Phil has uh, done a book about deliverance and uh, uh, Sue, what, what was your book about? Disciples. Disciples. Anybody else written a book? What have you written about? Testimony. Your testimony. Phil's done another book about the tabernacle, which is just awesome as well. A few years ago, I uh, went to meet a pastor friend of mine. And uh, I was catching up with him at Ashford, the other side of the airport. I said, what have you been doing? What's, what's going on? And uh, he mentioned to me that uh, when you come to publish a book, very often you have to spend a lot of money to pay for five or six hundred copies of the book, which you've got to pay up front before it gets sold. But he had this idea that you would do it electronically. Pass all the information on to him via the internet, etc. It would be put electronically, and Amazon, or someone like that, would be able to publish one-off copies of this book without you having to spend a whole load of money doing 500 copies. And it made me think that um, I was planning to write this book when I was in my 20s. I first came up to London and I started writing this book and I had, it was, it was in manuscript, I had lots of folders, uh, um, books, and I was writing out in handwriting, which only I can read and sometimes I can't read. And I thought, this is a wonderful opportunity, perhaps, for me to write this book. Because this book, when I was in my 20s, was the best book that you've ever written. I mean, it was a commentary on the Book of Romans. It was, I was going to call it the layman's commentary on the Book of Romans, because this was going to be a brilliant book. You had all wanted to, to buy it. It was one of those books. I was convinced it was a book that you would have wanted to read because you would be able to understand it in layman's terms on this wonderful Book of Romans with so much deep theology that you, would, you couldn't do anything else but buy this book. This was such a brilliant book that everybody would want to buy it. I haven't touched it 
since I got married. I got partway through the book of Romans and I stopped. Now, whether it was because I got married to, to Ruth or not, I don't know, but I stopped. But I decided that this year, during 2015, I would continue to complete this book of Romans. I shared this with Phil. I said, during 2015, I am going to update this wonderful book that I've started in the book of Romans, this commentary on the book of Romans, and I'm going to complete it and finish it because I didn't do all the chapters. He said to me, you won't believe a word of what you've written. You, I said, pardon? I mean, these are deep truths. Truths don't change at all. I mean, if it's true then, it must be true now. Why wouldn't I believe it? And I said to me, you, you, won't, you, you won't believe a lot of what you've written. I thought, this is just Phil. You know Phil. He, he makes a point. He's trying to be provocative, etc. I'll just humour him and just still let it go. It's true, so it must be good, and I'm going to make it better. And Phil's telling me, no, you won't, you won't believe what you've written. So I started this year writing this book of Romans again. I was just updating it. Now that I've got a computer, I can put it all down electronically. <coughs> it was me. And so I started going through it. As I went through it, would you believe it? I thought, what on earth have I written? <laughs> I thought, why did I write that? I mean, all right, when I was growing up, it was the authorised version and there were a lot of strange phrases, etc. And maybe it was the terminology. And I, I, I continued to persevere and I, after a while, after a few weeks, I thought, this is a load of rubbish. I don't understand what I'm saying. Why did I say this? Why did, what did it mean? Why did I comment on that? And, and It was just to such an extent now that I've just put it to one side. I, I won't even look at it anymore because I, I think it's rubbish. Well, there may be some good things in it, but I don't know why I wrote what I wrote because I can't understand. I think, what has it got any relevance to do with the Book of Romans even? And so I put these these books, which I thought were so wonderful, I've just put it to one side. Because my thinking has been changed, and that was the point that Phil was saying. And we've sung this morning, lean not on my own understanding, I'm going to climb this mountain with my arms wide open, I'm going to leave everything behind, I'm not going to hold on to anything, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. And Daphne's word to us today, come up and see things from God's point of view. God says, come up with me and be seated with me where I am in heavenly places because when you're with God, then you will see things from a different point of view. And the word that I want to share with you this morning is change your thinking. God is saying to us that we need to change our thinking. Turn with me in your various manual copies of your Bible or your electronic copies to Isaiah 55. We'll just read a few verses there. Isaiah 55. You'll find that quite familiar to many of you. Isaiah 55, starting at verse 1. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not 
bread and your labours on what does not satisfy. Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. And these are the verses we'll concentrate on this morning. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thinking is completely different from our thinking. And he's saying to us in these days, change your thinking. Change the way that you think. How do we go about that? Part of it is in this passage this morning. Verse 2. Listen. Listen to me, he says. When God says things twice, he wants you to pay attention to it. He wants you to take note about what he's saying. He says, listen. Listen to me. We need to be listening to God. God's given us two ears and one mouth. We speak so often twice as much as we listen. We should be listening twice as much as we speak. Verse 3, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen. We need to come to God. He repeats it again. Listen to what he's saying. What is he saying in these days? Verse 6, seek the Lord while you can find him. We need to be looking, we need to be searching, we need to be asking, we need to be listening, we need to be inquiring, we need to be searching for God. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Let the wicked, verse 7, let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let the wicked change their ways. And banish the very thought of doing wrong. And then those wonderful words in verses 8 and 9. My thoughts. I'm reading this in the New Living Translation because it's a good translation there. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are beyond anything that you can imagine. Wow. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth... So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. 
You know, the ways of God are so opposite to conventional thinking. God's ways and God's thoughts are almost upside down. They're the complete opposite to what we would think in these days. But God's plans are marvellous. As I've been looking through Romans, one of the things that I've found is that Paul illustrates this very thing when writing to the church at Rome. He says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Humanly speaking, no one would do anything like that. But God does it while we were yet sinners. We were completely against him. We were antagonistic to him. We were enemies of God. We weren't even friends of God. Christ died for us. The complete opposite to conventional thinking. And God's creation, human beings in particular, can never fully understand their creator's thoughts. But through revelation, we can gain great insights and knowledge of some of, the, some of his ways. Turn with me to Ephesians, or you might remember that, uh, that passage in Ephesians. One of my uh, favourite books, I must say, is the book or the epistle to the Ephesians. And it, in verse, chapter 1 and verse 17, and I'm often praying this, Paul writes, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. It's not intellectual information that we're looking for. It's not cleverness of thought. It's not lots of inspiration of trying to work out things. It's revelation that comes from God. And God gives us this information by revelation. We pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. As you know that I'm uh, planning to go out to Uganda in a a few weeks' time and I'm preparing now to share with uh, pastors out in Uganda for a couple of weeks on the kingdom of God. And as I'm doing that preparation, I realise more and more this very truth that God's kingdom and God's ways are completely different and are so radical, so completely different that we need to change our thinking in order to be able to understand what God's saying. It's daft otherwise. If you want to live, you've got to die. If you want to become rich, you've got to become poor. All these things are completely opposite to the way, ways of the world. We've got to change our thinking. We've got to put our our whole mind into a new way of thinking to bring it in line with God's way of thinking and what God wants. It's not rational. It doesn't make sense from a human point of view. So we've got to change our thinking. The king's ways are not naturally what we would expect or understand because they're spiritual principles and not natural ones. If we don't understand God's ways, we will not understand God's kingdom and his reign. And we won't welcome it. We won't encourage it. And there's a real possibility that we will try 
to oppose it. We may find ourselves opposing things. I mean, every, if you're anything like me, you've, you've had one or two arguments with God. It doesn't work very well because he always wins. But, I mean, if you argue with God, Job argued with God. He was going to tell him, when I speak to him, I would tell him this and I would tell him that. And it's all wrong what you're doing to me. David was another one. You read the Psalms. He starts off, why do the wicked always flourish? Why are they always doing so well? If I was in their place, I'd kill a lot of them. I'd get rid of them. And then he realises that God's ways are completely different than other ways. I mean, do you feel so? I mean, a number of times I've said, look, if I was God... I wouldn't do that. If I was you, God, I would never have done that. I mean, I would never have chosen those 12 disciples, would you? I mean, who with any of their right mind would choose those 12 disciples? They're bonkers. They're a lot of misfits. A lot of no-gooders to some extent, but I mean, they, they, they weren't very clever, most of them. I would never have chosen them. I would have chosen some better disciples. And we do that sometimes. You remember Lee spoke last week about uh, Tom Alsop's friend who died very, very suddenly. They were friends of mine. I was with at the funeral with Tom. Tom did the worship and I was at the funeral. People die. I mean, there was a fellow in my street, 48 years old, dropped down dead a couple of weeks ago. You say, why God? Why God? It doesn't make sense. Why someone at 48, full of the zeal of the Lord, making films for God, to die like this. Why did Peter Anderson have to die, drop down die? I argued with God when my, my daughter died. I can remember having a shower there and shouting at God, why have you taken my daughter from me, nine years old? God says, I've got a job for her up here in heaven. But we, we argue with God. I mean, if, I imagine that sometime or other you said, I don't understand God. I don't agree with you, God, what you're doing. And we can so often we can find ourselves opposing God because we don't understand what he is doing. You remember Gamaliel stood up in the Sanhedrin when the apostles were brought before him sometime after the day of Pentecost. You can read this in Acts chapter 6. You remember the members of the Sanhedrin were furious and wanted to put the apostles to death. However, Gamaliel said to them, if the apostles' actions are from human origin, they would fail. But if they were God, the Sanhedrin, the religious people of those days, could find themselves opposing God and fighting against God. And eventually, it got them to change their mind. But these religious people, at that time, were trying to oppose what God was doing. They wanted to punish and execute and get rid of God's people. And if we're not careful, we can have a similar mindset and we could be working to oppose God rather than working in line with what he wants because his ways are different than our ways. And sometimes we think we know best. We think we know better than God. I've certainly fallen into that trap a number of times and thought that I knew better of God only to find out perhaps the hard way that he does know best, even if I don't fully understand him. See, the Jews at that time were anticipating a Messiah 
who would liberate them from the tyrannical forces that were opposing them, whenever that was happening and whenever that took place. The people, they had no concept that they were doing anything wrong. They were thought they were brilliant. They had all these rules and regulations. They followed the law. They had the temple. They thought they were doing good and they were absolutely brilliant by all these rules and regulations. And then someone comes along with them and says, repent, you're all sinners. What? But I follow the law. I follow all these rules and regulations. Repent. John the Baptist said, repent. Jesus said, repent. You need to make a moral choice and change the way you are thinking. That's what the Greek word for repent means. You thought that it was to do something different. No, the original word for repent means to change your mind. Turning from sin is more the true action that arises from repentance. It's the result of repentance than the actual act. Repentance means a change of heart, a change of attitude, a change of way of thinking, and yielding to God. Say that again. Repentance means a change of heart, attitude, way of thinking, and yielding to God. The Pharisees or the religious people, you might consider yourself or we might consider ourselves to be religious people here this morning, needed to change their minds. They had great difficulty in this respect and many of them found it really difficult to change their way of thinking. And we too might find difficulty in changing the way that we think. You see, there is a need to go beyond knowing everything about the Scripture, and the Pharisees thought they knew all about the Scripture, and we might feel that we know all about the Scriptures. But we need to become disciples, followers of the King of Heaven. Jesus said to his disciples, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of the storeroom new treasures as well as old. And we will become like Jesus who was able to bring out both old and new truths. We should expect the Spirit to reveal things that we've not heard of before, both about the present and the future, the new things. Sometimes we think we know it all. I thought I knew it all when writing this this commentary on the Book of Romans. I thought it was such a great knowledge that everybody should know about it as well. But then you suddenly find that you don't know it. I've lost count of the number of times that I've read through Scripture and said, I didn't realise that was in there. I'm sure that God inserts things in the Bible that weren't there the last time that I read it. There is always something new. And God always seems to be popping it in my Bible and writing it down there that wasn't there before. So we should expect the Spirit to reveal things that we've not heard of before. 
When Paul writes, he so often talks about mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven or the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what they are. And this mystery is very often a truth previously hidden, but now revealed. A truth previously hidden and now revealed. 1 Corinthians 2, just read that for you, which explains it in some uh, a bit better than my fumbling words here. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 7 says this, No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for your glory before time began. There's certain things in Scripture which have been hidden away, and the truth of them is now only being revealed, and that's what comes out. Truth comes out and it becomes revealed. It's there all the time, but it's now being revealed. Old experiences and new observations all have their use. And we must not be content with the old revelation, but we must be adding new, as there is always more truth to learn and experience. You know, the people of Nazareth, they knew all about this young fellow Jesus. He grew up in the town. They knew his mum and his dad and his brothers and sisters. They knew everything about him. There was nothing more that they could know. Those of you who've lived in a small village, you know everything that's going on. Nothing gets past you in a small village. All the news, all the gossip, what everybody's doing, you know everything about what's going on. If someone sneezes, you know that. So they knew everything about this fellow Jesus. And so they didn't think there was anything more to do and to find out. They knew his family well, but they were not prepared to receive any fresh revelation about him. And as a result, Jesus couldn't do many miracles in Nazareth at all. We need to be aware or beware that we do not become fearful trying to preserve what has happened. Because if we try and preserve all that's taken place in the past, then we become curators of museums which are full of dead things and full of lifeless things. We need to allow the life to come forward and not to contain that which is dead and which is past. We need to be builders of the kingdom. Let me give you another example. You remember the vision that uh, Peter had about the, uh, the animals coming down from heaven? He received the vision three times. Three times. Now, when God says things and shows things and does things three times, I believe we've got to take notice of it. We've got to say, once I can make a mistake, twice it's unlikely, but when things happen three times, they must be true or it must be important. I've got to make note of it. I've got to really consider the truthfulness of that. And that's what, that's what Peter did on this occasion. It seemed to confirm the truthfulness of what he was being shown. You see, the Jewish laws had declared what was impure and what was unclean. And now this vision was saying something completely different. Remember the story? The animals coming down? It was different from what he had previously. It was different from what he previously thought. 
But the vision came three times, so we had to take note about it. And it's no wonder Peter was perplexed. It was no wonder he was puzzled. And yes, when some of the things that God says to us and shows us, we will be puzzled and we will be perplexed. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. Don't be afraid to ask God the questions. He doesn't mind us asking the questions. He wants us to be open and honest with him. So there will be, we will be perplexed. We will be puzzled. We can expect the same thing to happen to us when God challenges some of our thinking. You remember the story of Peter? Jesus was talking about his death and said, I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter says, no, Lord. You're not going to die. I'm not going to allow it. And Jesus says, get thou behind me, Satan. You are not thinking the same way as I'm thinking. Jesus had to rebuke Peter's thinking when he tried to say that Jesus Christ should not have to die. Jesus said to him, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Get thou behind me, Satan. Strong words when Peter was saying to to Jesus, no, 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 you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. And the same thing could apply with us if we try to oppose what God's doing. A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, when Audrey was speaking, she said to us that we were like little children. Do you remember that? We were still in our nappies. We were adults, but still in nappies. Paul writes in Corinthians, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child. God says, you're still children. Did any of your parents say to you, why don't you grow up? My mum said that to me, why don't you grow up? There's two of us anyway. I'm sure that if my mum was still alive these days, she would say the same thing to me. Why don't you grow up, Dave? Because you see that I'm, a li- I'm, I'm an adult growing up into be a little kid. I, I'm, a, I'm a little kid really at heart. And uh, our parents do say to them. I mean, sometimes our, our friends say to us, oh, grow up. You're just like a kid. You're just like a child. We need to grow up. And I believe that God's saying to us, some of us today, why don't you grow up? You're just like a little kid sometimes. Little kids are always wanting to do what's best for themselves. It's what affects me. What do I want? How it affects who I am. We need to grow up in our thinking. Brothers and sisters, says Paul, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. We need to grow up and to change our thinking and to have adult thinking these times. God has been speaking to us a lot about church. Church is not about here on a Sunday morning. I don't know how many times you've said that. Church is not about Sunday morning. What happens in the school, what happens here. And it makes me wonder sometimes whether we've not been thinking along that lines. And maybe it's one of the reasons that we have to move down to the, uh, the centre there to make the point 
The meeting in the school is not always all about church. It's, it's what happens in the rest of the week as well. It's not just the Sunday service that takes place once a week. What is happening, you know, is a wonderful opportunity to break down any division there may be. I just sort of sense there's some people who think church is all about what happens on Sunday morning at the school. And there are other people saying, no, no, it's what happens during the rest of the week down at the cafe. That's what church is all about. And there may be some divisions amongst people. And God's saying, no, I want, you to, I want to break down that division. Partially they're right, partially they're right. But it's the total picture. Church is not about where we meet. Church is us. That's what the word means. It's the assembly of God's people. It's people, not buildings, whether it's the centre or whether it's the school. It's the people, and it's the people coming together that it really is church. And what may be happening with us over the, in the coming weeks may be a wonderful opportunity for us to get the message about what God has been saying about what church is about. And if there is a difficulty, if there is any dispute, let's do it humbly. Let's do it out of an attitude of friendship. You know, we can, so often when we have these sort of disputes or different disagreements, we might be able to win the argument, but we lose the friendship. And the friendship is very often more important than the argument. When we get to heaven, we won't be arguing about doctrine. We will be enjoying our friendship. We will be enjoying relationship. A word of advice. Let's work together on this. The writer to the Hebrews says there is much he would like to say, but it was difficult to explain because the children were spiritually dull and didn't seem to listen. He said they were like children and not spiritually mature. That passage, I think, uh, Audrey touched on at the back end of uh, Hebrews 5 and the beginning of Hebrews 6, says this, let's go on instead to become mature in our understanding. Let's grow up in our understanding. Let's grow up in our thinking. Children so often want their own ways and think how things affect them. And we could be like this. How does this move to the centre affect me? I'm going to go down there and I'm going to sit in cramped condition. If you get there late, you might find you're sitting, sitting on a stool rather than a comfy seat. You might have to sit very close to someone. You might have to feel that... Uh, we, by the way, when we meet in close relationships next week, we all have got to have a good shower before we come. Um, no raising arms and uh, smelly armpits. It, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be difficult, but will we think about that? We will, we've got to be with it. It's going to be close fellowship. It's, it's, it, there are going to be things that we won't like and there will be things that we don't like there. Um, but think about the showers there because it's going to be packed in. <laughs> If you, if you get down there early, for some people, there may be the comfy chairs, but there won't be the comfy chairs for everyone. There's a couple of sofas down there. But this is children thinking, isn't it? We, I, want the, I want the best seat. You know? 
My main concern is that uh, Lee and I like to wander around during the worship and there might not be enough room to wander around there because it will be tightly... But we could be thinking about, how does it affect me? You see, that I, well, you see the way that I'm thinking now. How is it going to affect... You might be doing the same thing. You might be doing the same thing. How does it affect me? Because that's how the children look at it. They look at things, how it affects them. It's all about what pleases... Is it all about what pleases you? Or is it about what pleases God? Is it about what you can get out of Sunday morning in a couple of weeks' time? Or is it about what pleases God? Ephesians 5 and verse 10 says, find out what pleases the Lord. If you want to have a little sticky label to go up in your home, I'd encourage you to do that. Wonderful verse of scripture. Keep reminding yourself, find out what pleases God. Keep reminding yourself to find out what pleases God. Doesn't matter what pleases you, find out what pleases God. During our services, particularly on a Sunday, I'm, I'm, I'm always asking, what are you doing, Lord? What's going on in this service? What is happening here? What are you trying to say during this service? What do you want to do during this service? I'm, I'm, I'm asking that question all the time because we need to be asking God what he's doing and so that we can be part of what he's doing. It's essential to know what God is planning to do and we need to find out what he's engaged with and we need to throw in our lot with him. Because we could find ourselves doing something completely opposite to what God wants to do. A young fellow comes to see me from time to time for, for prayer. And um, he's having a big battle with uh, Thames Valley University or West London College, whatever it's called, West London University. They want to put up a, another building. And he's been fighting this building, which is just outside where he lives. And uh, it's getting him stressful, he's getting him worked up, and he's, he can't do anything. And, and um, he said, I've really got to stop these people, these university people and the planners and the Ealing Council from putting up this big building there. And I said to him, did you ever ask God what he wants to do? And I said, God might have a different plan and, and got something which he wants to do. And you could be working in opposition to the plan that God wants to do. I said, I don't know, but I mean, have you asked God? And so we need, sometimes we need to be asking God, what are you doing? Because I want to be on your side, not on what I think is best for me. Our prayer should be, God, show me what you're doing today and how can I be a part of it? Ephesians 4, verses 17 and 18 Paul called for the Ephesian church to a way of thinking that was different from that of unbelievers. He said that in the futility of their thinking and understanding, particularly of unbelievers, their minds were darkened and they were separated from the life of God because their minds were closed and hard. And you know, that's a... a, uh, a theme that's repeated in Scripture numerous times. As I said to you before, when God says things over and over and over again, we need to be very clear in our thinking. It seems to be an important point. Twice, 
in the Old Testament, twice in the New Testament. God's saying to this, Jesus said it, Paul finishes up um, saying this, or Luke records it at at the end of Acts. He says this, when there was a disagreement among the people, people in Rome again, Paul was telling them about the kingdom of God, about Jesus. And some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, and they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. We might find that things are coming into our ears, but there's nothing in the middle, and it goes through one ear, right the way through, and comes out the other ear. We're hearing, but not understanding. We're seeing, but we're never perceiving. We need to change our thinking. We need to be hearing what's going on and what God's saying. We need to be seeing what's going on. The people of Israel, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, time and time were being told that they were not listening. They were not understanding. They were not seeing what God was doing. They have minds that do not understand, eyes that do not see, and ears that do not hear. Going back again to Romans, chapter 12 this time, in verse 2. That wonderful passage, that wonderful scripture. New Living Translation again. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. God wants to change us to be new people by changing the way we think. When we change the way we think and bring it in line with the way he thinks, then we will learn to know God's will for you, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Today, the media, people in government, people in society are trying to change the way that we think. They're telling you, you cannot think this way. The thought police are getting out in force more and more these days and telling you what you can think and what you cannot think. you are not allowed to think in a certain way. You've had examples recently. There was a preacher. The judge said to him, you can use this verse of scripture when you do your preaching, but you cannot use another verse of scripture. So he was telling him what he could and he couldn't preach about. I understand there was a lady there 
uh, work, a colleague of hers came up and asked her and shared uh, and said, would you help me? And she wanted to know what she thought about different things. She shared her testimony. She shared her, her way of thinking. I gave her a, a booklet. It was a Muslim, but she was asking her about it. She told that she could not do that. She couldn't answer questions that people were asking at work, even when she was invited to do so. People are told that they cannot say things, cannot think things. At work, we've got to change our way of thinking. How you think is wrong. The government will say this. Society is trying to change the way we think. Putting the Christian under pressure to change his mind and think differently. But when the world around him is telling him to give his mind to other things, the Christian needs to set his mind on things above and not on things below, not on earthly things. The more we Christians try to be trendy and try to fit in with society, the less influence for God we have in this world. Some of you will know uh, Bill Johnson's from uh, uh, Reading in California, from Bethel. He wrote in his book, Face to Face with God, you know your mind is being renewed when the impossible looks logical. All right? You know your mind is being renewed when the impossible looks logical. That's what the kingdom of God's about. We are to reason from heaven towards earth. That's what I'm going to be teaching in a couple of weeks' time. On earth as in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to reason from heaven to earth and not the other way around. The people of Israel were taken into captivity starting in 605 BC, about 586 BC. Israel pretty well didn't exist anymore. It was no longer a nation. It seemed as if they might simply be absorbed into Babylon and disappear from history. It's easy to forget that we're God's children. As a result, we become servants of the world. The children of Israel almost disappeared. To cut a long story short, Daniel and his friends were bombarded with all sorts of literature and all sorts of information to take them away from being the sort of people they were really meant to be. And the government's trying to do the same thing with us. It's called education telling them what they can do and what they can't do. If we're not careful, we could be absorbed into the way of thinking of the world. According to Tulsa, the church's mightiest influence is felt when she is different from the world in which she lives. Some of you will remember that we were, Ruth and I went on a world tour and we uh, went to uh, New Zealand and travelled around there and that... Um, uh, as I was going out, I saw the film on uh, Air Canada of The Hobbit. And I felt that God said to me, expect the unexpected. And so throughout our five weeks away, we were looking out for the unexpected all the time. And some things the unexpected was good, some things it was bad. But on the last day when we were in Hong Kong looking around, we went round to a mall shopping centre to 
those of you who are not from America, shopping centre, and we walked round a corner, and there on the wall was a big sign which said, expect the unexpected. And God wants us, I believe it's not only for us, it's, for, it's not only for Ruth and I, it's for all of us. We are to expect the unexpected. When we were spending some time in prayer during that time when we were waiting on God for what the future held for us with regard to God's, uh, the, the finances of the church, one of the verses that came out was from Habakkuk. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. And I think God's saying that to you. He's going to do something, but he's not going to tell us because we wouldn't believe him if he did tell us. Expect the unexpected. The children of Israel, Phil mentioned, they wandered round in the wilderness for 40 years. They never expected some of the things that were going to happen to them. They would never have believed that the waters of the Red Sea were going to open. They never would have believed they were going to wander around for 40 years. Their clothes would never have run out. Their shoes would never have worn out. They would have been fed, millions of people, fed in a wilderness, in a desert, food, water. They would never have believed it. It's daft. You don't send millions of people out into the wilderness for 40 years. It's daft. So they would never have believed it if God told them that. But he brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey. Our move to the centre, as Phil says, might be like that. We don't know. What is your thinking regarding the future of our Sunday services? Can I encourage you, because time has gone, honestly, that we need to have our minds renewed. Look up 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 to 16. It talks about spiritual revelation. It talks about us having the mind of Christ. We've not been left ourselves on our own, but we can know the mind of Christ. Christ speaks His spirit to our spirit. He communicates. Jesus said to the disciples again, he said, you're not longer my enemies at all. You're my friends because I share things with you. And God's going to share things with us. We're going to open up our ears and our eyes to hear what it is that he's saying to us in these days. He says, instead I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Psalm 92, verses 5 and 6. How great are your works, Lord. How profound are your thoughts. Senseless people do not know. Fools do not understand. I don't know about you, but often when God says he's going to prove something, I don't like the way he does it. He said to Moses in the burning bush, what I'm telling you to do, I'm going to prove it, but you won't find out until after you've done it. I mean, I like the proof beforehand, not afterhand. There was a word of scripture that was down when we were having that time of prayer, which says, I'm, I'm going to prove what I'm doing, what, what it's doing is right, but you won't know about it for the next three years, two years. There's going to be a famine, and you will live by the scraps. The third year, there will be a harvest. Does it make sense? I like the proof beforehand, not afterwards. I don't want it three years later. I would like it up front to make sure that we're doing the right thing. But God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. 
Yes, I've, it was that passage. Isaiah said to Ezekiel, Hezekiah rather, here is what the proof that what I say is true. This year you will eat only what grows up by itself, and next year you will eat what springs up from that. But in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them. You will tend vineyards and eat their fruit. And you are left in Judah, who have escaped the ravishes of the seed, will put down roots down into your soil and grow up and flourish. For the remnant of my people will spread out for Jerusalem, a group of survivors from Mount Zion. The passionate commitment of the Lord will accomplish this. I don't go a bundle on dates and times, and I'm not a big thing about two years and three years, and this time and things will happen when God says things. But I'm excited that God is saying things like this. I find it encouraging. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be a spreading out. And that's what God's been saying to us about our apostolic house. That it's a sending out. There's something about sending out about that. And so the people are going out from Jerusalem, going out from Mount Zion, the remnant, whatever's left, as it were, the us few people down at the centre will be spreading out, wherever that means, and going out. I'm excited by that. We need to change our thinking. We need to have the same mindset as Christ. I want to take a little vote in closing. How many of you are like me and see a glass half empty? Oh, there's a few of us. I see glasses half empty. How many of you see a glass as half full? A few more. I need to change my thinking. I need to see things in a positive way. Philippians 4 says this, and I close with that. Philippians 4 verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. God wants to change our way of thinking. Can I just ask the worship team to come back up for one more quick one, please? Dave, thank you very much for that, mate. That was great. God bless you. I'm going to hover at the back here. Please stay around for tea and